Welcome to New Covenant Church. You are listening to this week's message with Senior Pastor Chris Valdez. Well, next week is a special day, and, and I always say that I give a public service announcement to help help people out. So uh, this is for all you kids and all you husbands out there. Next Sunday is Mother's Day, in case you didn't know or haven't been thinking about it. So you've been warned. I hope you prepare to honor the mothers in your life next week. And as I also always say, this is either going to help you or hurt you worse, because if you forget now, it's all on you. So make a note. Make a note and don't forget. Well, last week, we started this series titled Burning Grace, and there are two principles at its core that that I want us to go over again before we get into this morning's message, and the first is to have a clear definition of grace. Grace is God acting in our lives to accomplish what we cannot accomplish on our own. Grace applies to our salvation. It applies to the living out or walking out of our faith on a daily basis. And it applies to the process of us growing up or maturing in Christ spiritually. We're called to participate with God in each of these areas. But the miraculous part, the grace-filled part, is God joining us in those efforts and accomplishing what only He could accomplish. The second is a quote from the late theologian Dallas Willard. Dallas wrote, If you really, if you would really like to be into consuming grace, just lead a holy life. The true saint burns grace like a 747 burns fuel on takeoff. Become the kind of person who routinely does what Jesus did and said. You will consume much more grace by leading a holy life than you will by sinning. Because every holy act you do will have to be upheld by the grace of God. And that upholding is totally the unmerited favor of God in action. Every holy act we do has to be upheld by the grace of God. God joins us. He participates with us in those actions to accomplish what only He can. The word holy means other than. God is other than. His works are other than. Jesus said His words and works were from the Father, that He didn't do anything or say anything that He wasn't led to by the Father. Jesus Christ chose to walk in the flesh just like us, and He lived a life completely dependent on God. Jesus lived a life full of grace. And he made it clear that the only way that we could follow him is when we totally depend on him. In John 15:5, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We talked last Sunday and I read a verse about where we can uh, make it to heaven, you know, beyond this life like we escaped a fire with nothing left because everything else is burned up and it's like we have the smell of smoke on our clothes because we just made it. And the reason for that would be because everything that we would have done post-salvation would have been our own works, would have been apart from Christ, would have been apart from the grace of God. 
this scripture, and Jesus himself said this, that we can do no holy thing, no righteous thing, nothing of God apart from Jesus Christ. And it is only by God's grace when we do. He chooses to participate with us when we take small steps of obedience and faith toward him. In those moments, God does in and through us what we could never accomplish on our own. Only by His grace are we able to accomplish even the smallest of holy acts. James 4.17 says that, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. These scriptures raise the bar so high. We don't have time to look at it this morning, but if you have time this week, I would ask you to read Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Uh, that includes uh, the Sermon on the Mount. But in those three chapters, uh, it's all in red letters. All three of those chapters are 100% of just Jesus' words. But in those chapters, Jesus raises the bar so high, so impossibly high, far beyond what we could ever do or accomplish on our own. And I want to take a moment right now to just say that I promise you that the point of this message is not to put you on a guilt trip. It's not to just tell you how impossible these things are or how much we're all failing. The point is that Jesus never intended us to do any of these things on our own. We know this because we just read that we can do absolutely nothing apart from Him. We are called to do everything with Him by the grace of God. We are called to be consumers of God's grace. But how do we do that? By stepping out in faith and responding to God's call on our life. And that call could be anything. For Abraham, it was being called to go to a land that he did not know. Later, it would be to trust that God was going to give he and Sarah a child when they were beyond childbearing years. Moses was called to deliver a people away from the strongest nation in the world at that time, from Egypt. A single man. That would be absolutely impossible in his own strength and his own ability. But by the grace of God, God, through Moses, stepping out in faith, delivered the children of Israel. Daniel faithfully followed God and it led him into a lion's den. We could go on and on. The Bible is full of these faith-filled and grace-filled accounts. And what we would find in each of the accounts I just mentioned, and in the countless examples of all the faithful men and women throughout the entire Bible, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, is that each and every one were upheld by the grace of God as they chose to follow Him in faith, accompanied with their effort. God performs the miraculous in situations where His people have enough faith in His Word to stand up and be faithful, regardless of the circumstances. Last week, our focus was on grace being the fuel that we need in order to function properly as Christians. And this morning, we're going to look at how we are to participate with God's grace. The effort that accompanies God's grace. Dallas Willard uh, made another statement. He said, grace is opposed to earning, but not to effort. Without grace, the process of becoming like Christ would be impossible for us. But just because God's grace is a requirement for our spiritual formation, it doesn't make the whole process passive on our part. 
we are still called to participate with him. God's grace, when received by us, should inspire us and enhance our effort. We'll never become more like, more Christ-like without intense and well-informed action on our part. We can never earn our salvation. We can't earn God's favor. There's nothing that we can ever do to put God in our debt. That's impossible. But just because we can't earn grace doesn't mean we shouldn't seek to receive His grace. And not only should we seek it, it's absolutely impossible for us to live the Christian life apart from it. The very act of stepping out in faith into the places that God is calling us provides the opportunity for God to display His grace in our lives. Many of us are familiar with uh, the account of Daniel in the lion's den. I referred to that just a moment ago, and that's found in Daniel chapter 6. If you haven't ever read that whole account, I would encourage you to do that this week as well. I'll just kind of highlight it for you real quickly. Uh, in, in Daniel, the children of Israel have been uh, taken to captivity again because they weren't following what God had told them to do. And so they had been taken into captivity in Babylon. And Daniel was one of the people, uh, children of Israel, that had been taken into Babylon. But Daniel was very faithful and very wise, and he followed God and was a righteous man. And so he raised up in, in, the, in the government. And he was one of three men that were all, over all the other officials in, in the land uh, directly under King Darius. Well, he was doing so well at his job that the king was planning on making him over everything. He was going to oversee you know, even those other two guys. Well, they didn't like that. They were, they were jealous and they didn't appreciate that. So they started talking among themselves and came up with a plan uh, to, to indict Daniel and to get him out of the way. And so they started watching him and trying to get anything that they could on him. And what they found was they couldn't because he was righteous and holy and followed God in all of his ways. And there was nothing that they could get him on. So they ended up conspiring and saying the only way that we're going to get him is if it's in relation to his faith. And so they came up with a plan and they took it to the king and said, hey, we, we came up with this great idea. For 30 days, make a law that no one can petition anyone, God or man, except for you. And the king in his pride thought, hey, fantastic idea. And he signed it into the law. And that chapter says that according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, that even the king himself, once he made a law and signed it, that he couldn't revoke it himself. And so they went their merry way to Daniel. And guess what? Daniel, it says he does what he always did. Three times a day he went and prayed before the Lord. And we'll read that passage in just a moment. So they catch him in, in being faithful to God. And they run back to the king and they tell him what's happened. And the king is just heartbroken and devastated because he, he liked Daniel. He wanted him to be over everything. And it says he tried the rest of that day to, to figure out a way to get Daniel off the hook. But like they said, you know, hey, king, even you can't revoke this. It's too late. And so at the end of the day, they throw Daniel into the lion's den. And the king says, I pray that God, your God, will save you. And they roll the stone in front of it. And it says that the king didn't eat. He fasted himself all night, praying for Daniel that he would survive. And the next day they go and they roll away the stone. And sure enough, Daniel is alive. And Daniel says, yeah, I'm still here. God sent an angel to keep the lion's mouths closed. 
and they pull Daniel out. And those that had conspired against Daniel are thrown in the den. And it says that their bodies were broken into pieces and they were killed even before they hit the ground. God took away that protection. And in a moment, uh, the situation that Daniel had been in for all night safe, those people in an instant were killed. And so if Daniel had bowed down and worshipped King Darius, not only would he have been sinning against God, Daniel would have prevented God from showing him the grace in the lion's den. It was Daniel's faith in God, his effort in not backing down to the threats of man, including death threats on his life. He literally was taking his life into his hands by continuing to be faithful. And it was that effort, that continuation in those practices that allowed God to show grace in his life. An amazing act of God's grace that we're still talking about 2,600 years later. That's what God's grace can accomplish when his people have the faith to do what he's called us to do. And trust that God will then show us his grace and accomplish what only he can accomplish. Daniel's testimony isn't about a man who randomly one day went out to pray and was faithful. Daniel was doing what he had done every day, what he had practiced over and over and over, praying to God. Daniel 6.10 says that when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, when he knew that he would be taking his life into his hands, he went to his house and he had windows to his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had previously done. Daniel had a habit, a regular practice of praying to God three times a day. Scripture tells us in Daniel chapter 9 that he would also fast. Daniel had regular spiritual practices in place prior to the test that came. And when the test came, it was his relationship with God and these practices that allowed him to be faithful. If you read that whole chapter, you'll find that God did not tell Daniel, Hey, Daniel, keep doing what you're doing, and if you do, I'm going to keep you safe. God made no such promise. He didn't speak to Daniel and tell him that in advance. Daniel just remained faithful. He continued to do what he had practiced, even when it got hard, even when it might have meant his death. But in that practice, God's grace, his ability to do what only he could do, showed up. And 2,600 years later, it's a testimony to the world about God's grace. I know that this is a struggle for all of us. It's a struggle for me. It seems impossible. And it is impossible apart from grace. We want to make excuses like God knows I can't live the life that Jesus did. I don't think he expects me to. So why even bother? We want God's grace just to cover up our sin instead of letting it be the spiritual fuel to empower us to live a holy life. We read earlier in those other scriptures that God's grace gives us that power, gives us that ability to live that holy life that apart from Jesus Christ, we can do nothing. So then let's believe for His grace to empower us to do those things that we cannot do on our own. Let His grace give us that fuel and that power to live like Christ instead of just settling for covering our sins. That's wonderful. That's fantastic. And we would never... uh, 
make light of that fact, but once we've been saved, once we've come to Christ, we should then believe for that grace to allow us to live the holy, righteous life that He's called us to live. By grace, by God's ability, by God's power. Jesus made it clear that He wants us to follow Him and be obedient to the things that He taught. In Matthew 28, 18-20, in what we refer to as the Great Commission, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, teaching them to do all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus made it clear that our aim, our job description as Christians is to work toward observing everything that he commanded the disciples to do. And then we're to go out and make more disciples. Jesus says this in another way in John 14, 21. He said, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. There are plenty of passages like this that tell us the truth that we are to seek to become more Christ-like. But if we put our focus on our actions or practices, we'll find ourselves becoming more legalistic and failing miserably. We have to understand that we cannot obey Christ or even trust Him by direct effort. God's grace is essential in the spiritual formation process our maturing process in Jesus Christ. The change in our lives has to come from the inside out, not from the outside in. But there is still an effort, a participation that's required on our part in this spiritual formation process. When we make that effort, God joins with us through His grace. In Matthew 26, 41, Jesus told the disciples, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus was warning them and telling them in advance of the temptation to practice the spiritual discipline of prayer. There's a spiritual war going on, and we enter that battle daily. That's why Paul encouraged us daily to put on the whole armor of God. But just because there's a battle going on doesn't mean we have to lose it. We can prepare in advance and be ready We have to understand that our bodies, our flesh, have become poised, trained, practiced to sin. Our flesh is literally just waiting for the opportunity to sin. God told Cain that sin was waiting for him. In Genesis 4-7, he said, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Sin will always be crouching at the door of our life. But through Christ Jesus and by God's grace, we can rule over it. We can develop our spiritual habits over time through practice, just like we develop skills and habits physically. I've got an example here, two examples. One of them I'm better at than the other one. Neither of them am I accomplished at. So golf is something I play about two or three times a year. The funny thing about that is every time I go out, I still expect to do good. And I get really frustrated when I don't. And I'm just, you know, 
it's just stupid, honestly. I mean, like, I'm not, I don't practice at all. I rarely play, but I, I should be good. Um, and honestly, that's the way we live our spiritual lives. Uh, and so, so you, there's a way to stand. There's a way to hold it. There's a way to take it back. You're supposed to keep your head down. If you ever golf with partners, they tell you what you did wrong after every swing. And I get a lot of that. They say they're coaching. Um, but you do it over and over and over. And I've played golf, I think, since college. So, I don't know, 20-something years. And, and never have gotten that good, never have practiced very much. But if you know anything about golf, you know, especially the pros, they practice over and over and over Hours and hours every single day, literally swinging the same swing, the same motion, thousands and thousands and thousands of times so that they do it without even thinking. The amazing thing to me is that when they uh, either get injured or something happens in their life, uh, like Tiger Woods, you know, early on in his career, they thought he was going to break every record that had ever been made. And then, and he was on track to do that. But then things started changing. Whether it was mental or injuries or whatever, he, he like lost it. And so he reinvented himself over and over. And there's other golfers who have done the same thing. And, and maybe because of an injury, they can't swing it the way they did anymore. And after having that practice ingrained, in their memory, in their muscle memory, where they could do it without even thinking, they train themselves to do it another way. And how do they do that? Is it by deciding to and trying harder the next time they do it? No. It's by practicing it over and over. And the mental effort involved. They, they have to turn off the muscle memory that they made after thousands and thousands of swings. And now they have to think and try and do everything in their power by coaches and them telling them exactly what to do to get in that new form and grab it in a new way and hold it in a new way and swing it in a new way. And they have to do that over and over and over and over again thousands and thousands and thousands of times and they retrain themselves to do what they could have never done by just thinking about it harder or trying harder the next time. And it's the same way in our spiritual life. I'm a little bit better at tennis than I am at golf, but not much. My daughters will <laughs> will testify to that. So Candy and I have been playing tennis uh, well, at least 20, almost 25 years uh, and I've been playing it since I was in high school, so even longer than that. And I actually even played in high school, but I was never really that good. Um, I enjoyed it. I had fun. I'd practice. But my practice was as long as it gets in the other court. I don't know if you all know about tennis, but there's lines. There's boundaries. And you have to get it in that boundary. So that big square is my goal. If I get the ball anywhere in that square, I'm good. And for years, uh, and we, we were the ones that started teaching Abby and Allison to play, and so for years we would dominate them, you know, when they were six and seven years old. Uh, and honestly, I mean, it was into the teenage years uh, in middle school they started playing here. Uh, and we would play, and we would, we would always beat them. And I remember the day, like, that Abby first beat me the first time. And then there was a couple times where, I, you know, I might have still won, but then, you know, she'd win, I'd win. Well, today, if Candy and I's life depended on it, we could not beat Abby or Allison. And one of the things I want to point out here is it's not just about a matter of time. We've played far more than they've played. Like, they've, what they have done different than what we have done 
is practiced with a purpose. While I was always content to get it in the big square, they've got two coaches that have worked with them and said, no, you don't swing it like that. You swing it like this, and you try to hit the ball on this this part of the racket, and you do this, and you do that, and then you can aim it, and then they do it over and over and over and over again. And so now we'll get it over in the general big square, and they hit it back, and it's this far from the line on the opposite side of the court, and we have absolutely no chance to return it. Because they aimed it with a purpose and they're able to do that because they practiced. And I could go out this afternoon and literally kill myself with effort. And there's no way that I could beat either one of my girls at tennis. Because it wouldn't matter how hard I tried. I haven't practiced. I don't have the ability. And all the intention, all the effort in the world would not be enough. And it's the same way with our spiritual practices. Our bodies have been taught through our whole life how to sin. And we're naturally good at it. We're naturally good at being angry in a moment. We're naturally good with uh, just falling into a habitual sin because we've done it over and over and over. And we tell ourselves, next time I'm going to try harder. But direct effort will never be enough. And I, I, I jokingly said earlier, and I was thinking about, like, what excuse could I have? With it? Why do I lose to my daughters? Why, they're, they're younger than I am. They're faster than I am. Well, Coach Pizer's older than I am. He can mop up the floor with both of them. So I don't even have that excuse. But why is he better? Because he's practiced a whole lot more. He's better than they are. Not by, not by physical speed or ability, but by practice. He can aim it better. He knows what they're going to do before they do it. He can read them and he's like, okay, they're running this way. They're about to swing this way. That ball is going to be right here. And I'm going to be there before they even hit it and be ready. And I'm going to put it on the opposite side of the court. Because he's practiced. We develop these physical and spiritual habits for the good or bad based on what we practice. You know, it doesn't matter if you never went to school a day in your life. Did you know you have an education? You were educated throughout your life by your surroundings, by your environment, by uh, the other people in your life. That's how you've been educated. And you're educated to respond in certain ways at certain times. And the only way that you can get out of those is in advance to practice a different way. We automatically seem to do what's wrong, to sin without thinking. And it's because in our fallen world, our lives are prepossessed by evil. The Bible clearly tells us that we're all born in sin. There's no one righteous, not one. And this is why we don't have to think to do what is wrong. But we do have to think and plan and practice and receive grace if we're going to succeed in doing what's right. As I said before, we can't live this life or practice these principles by direct effort alone. So many times we just think if we try to do the right thing, we'll do better. But we've already done the wrong thing before we realize it. It's because it's our habit. It's our practice to sin. And that automatically takes over before we can even think about it. It's literally sitting in our body at the ready, poised, because we're trained If we aren't ready before the temptation comes, trying in the moment will most likely be too late. We have to start planning our intention and effort in advance through training. 
This training or practice leaves our body poised to do what Christ would do well before the opportunity to sin comes along. This training is done by practicing the disciplines for life in the Spirit. These activities of spiritual formation or disciplines are in our power to actually do. We can do these in order to become able to do what we could never be able to do by direct effort alone, a.k.a. trying harder. Disciplines are required in every area of our life, including the spiritual That's why Jesus directed and led his disciples into disciplines for spiritual life. That included prayer, fasting, worship, solitude, silence, service, study, and fellowship. You know, there's a verse in James that says we need to be uh, quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. That's one of those practices. How can we practice that? That's one of the things I have to work on. I'm quick to speak and slow to listen. The only way that I can reverse that is by practice and not in the moment. In the moment, I'm always back to my default of being quick to speak. Jesus would go away and be quiet, alone, in solitude. I could start that practice maybe five minutes at a time. (laughs) Maybe for five minutes I can keep my mouth closed and just listen and grow to ten and fifteen And what that does is it beats that part of our body into submission, into practice, so that we can actually have a chance for God's grace, for Him to do what only He could do in that moment because we've practiced in advance one of the spiritual practices that He's given us. One of the reasons that we see the teachings of Jesus as so hard or even impossible to accomplish is because our habits have been formed against them. We've practiced not doing them or even doing the opposite much more than we've ever attempted to practice doing what Jesus said. We can enter each of the teachings of Jesus by choosing different behaviors that are relevant to a particular discipline, making space and arrangements in our life to put them into action and getting a picture or vision of how that situation in our life would be transformed if God were to be included in it. And allowing His grace to do what only He could do in that situation. If we make these practices part of our life on a daily basis, putting forth the effort to participate in them with God's grace, they will increasingly remove the readiness that is in us to sin and be replaced by a readiness of righteousness and holiness. Creating new habits in our life, new holy ruts to follow by doing the same spiritual action, the same spiritual discipline over and over and over and over again. Just like swinging a golf club or swinging a tennis racket. But remember, doing it without a purpose is a waste of time. Kenny and I could continue to go play on our own at our level with our ability for fun. And we could do it every day for hours a day and we wouldn't get better. We would just be re-ingraining the bad habits that we already have. We would be practicing incorrectly. If we're going to practice these things correctly, we have to do it with intention and purpose. One of the things that we're called to do is fellowship together like we're doing this morning. Find someone who's good at one of the things that God is leading you to practice and walk with them in it. Have them disciple you and teach you in that. And there may be areas that you're better in that someone may want to walk with you in that you could disciple them in that 
skill and that spiritual discipline. Romans 6.13 says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. We are to practice presenting our whole self to God because He has brought us from death to life and are to present our bodies as instruments of righteousness. We can't do it on our own, but we can put out the effort and have faith that God is going to join us and provide His grace to work in our life. In Galatians 4.19, Paul wrote, My little children, for who I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. Paul had faith in the grace of God in their lives that Christ would be formed in them. Paul was going to remain faithful as a disciple in their life, working with them, coaching them, until Christ was formed in them. In Galatians 5.24, in that same letter, Paul said, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We think these things are impossible to accomplish, and they certainly are in our own strength. When we try by direct effort alone, we'll always fail. But we've been given Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to indwell within us and the grace of God to accomplish the miraculous. We are called to work with Him, to participate with His grace, and will accomplish this holy transformation in us as we mature in Him. As we put these spiritual disciplines into practice over and over and over and over again, they will start to become more natural. 1 Corinthians 9.27 says, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Could it be said any clearer than that? Paul disciplined his body. He trained his body by practicing over and over and over again so that he would be able to remain faithful when the time counted. Philippians 1, 20 and 21 says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Jesus is to be honored through our bodies, whether we continue in this life or go to him in death. We're going to close with Romans 5, 20 and 21. It says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Where sin increases, grace, God's ability to do what only He can do, abounds all the more. We can, we can practice these spiritual disciplines with our bodies. Through practice and discipline joined with the grace of God, we learn a new relation to our body. As we do this, our mind, our heart, and our soul are also impacted. These processes give us the opportunity to explore and interact with the entire world in a new way. And the next time an opportunity to sin arises, we're much more likely to be poised with automatic acts of righteousness and holiness empowered by the grace of God through Jesus Christ rather than being poised to sin. 
gives us the grace, His ability to do it, but we have to participate with Him. We have to walk with Him, work with Him, put out that effort. And it's just like the tennis racket and the golf club. If we don't do it with intention, if we don't do it with purpose, much of what we're doing is just wasting our time. We can go to God and say, Lord, what area of my life do you want me to work on with you? Do you want me to participate with you right now? And I guarantee you, the Holy Spirit will share with you one area. We would all be over. We, we all have work to do in every one of those areas. And we'll be working on them the rest of our lives until we die and go to heaven. We're participating with God in that sanctification process, in that maturing process. But he will have one area that he can say, will you participate with me in this? Start practicing that one swing. Did you, I don't, somebody, got, Pastor Darrell, how many clubs are there? Thirteen? So thirteen clubs, you know every single one of those is different? You've got to practice with thirteen different clubs, thirteen different ways. And they're all for a different purpose. So God, you, you can't, it is impossible for a golfer to practice all 13 clubs simultaneously. God does not intend for you to practice and improve every area of your life tomorrow or today. He wants to work with you in one specific area with intention and purpose. So go to him and ask and say, and we're about to pray, and I just ask that you would open your heart and ask the Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me right now? What area of my life can I participate with you with intention and purpose and know that the grace of God, God bringing his ability into that situation is going to accomplish what I could never accomplish in my own ability, and you will then work acts of holiness and righteousness in my life that will last forever. And And Paul would say, I can both in nothing but Jesus Christ and the grace of God because he knew it was God in him, not his own ability. That's how it's supposed to work. That's what we're called to do. And day by day by day, we can become more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Will you bow your head with me as we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we come, I come included. Lord, open our heart, open our mind to to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit this morning. I just pray, Lord, that everyone that intends and plans to follow you with intention and purpose, Father, their heart is turned to you. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak that truth to them, reveal the area of their life that you would have them begin to practice with intention and purpose and your grace in the middle of it. And Father, if there is a brother or sister in Christ that they can walk with in that, I pray that you would bring that to their mind as well, Lord, and that you will develop those relationships that as iron sharpens iron, Lord, we would sharpen the countenance of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you do what only you can do when we just respond in obedience to you. Father, we give you all glory, all praise, and all honor because it can be due to no one else other than you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. I believe you came here today because you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life and he can do something for you, and that's why you're here. The same grace that gives you a new life is the grace that can bring you more life, more abundant life. 
believe the Holy Spirit spoke to you all as individuals this morning and, and, and showed you something that you can work on. And the grace that comes from the effort of us stepping out in faith will be more than sufficient. So when your hand reaches for that thing you know you shouldn't pick up, our effort is to raise that hand and say, God, you're more than enough and you can help me not do this. And when your feet want to turn and go somewhere you know you're not supposed to go, you can say, God, set my feet on the solid rock that I'm standing on right now and give me a firm foundation to fight this to not do what I want to do. For me personally, just like Chris, God, there's something I want to say right now. I need to say this. No, what you need to say is, God, your grace is enough to deal with this and to help me be the man you created me to be. Amen. The new May handouts are outside the lobby. Pick one up, put it on the dashboard of your car. Stick it on your refrigerator with a magnet or be one of the cool kids. Take a picture of it with your phone. Just take it with you everywhere you go. Leave that one for somebody else. All right? A couple of quick announcements. Tonight, if you're in middle school or high school youth or you know somebody that is, don't come at 4.30. You're going to be late. We're starting 30 minutes early at 4 o'clock. So it's from 4 to 6 tonight. Why the big change? Because we're having a night of worship at 6, and we want you kids to be available to come over here and spend a great time with us, adults, praising God. We're going to have Abacasa Project, which is a friend of Evan and Janina Leckers. They're going to be here tonight from 6 to 7 in a time of worship. So just come and enjoy the, enjoy the music. They've written some songs we even sing here, so it won't be all new to you. You'll be able to participate. There is no NCC Kids this Wednesday. Please do not drop your kids off in the parking lot on Wednesday night. Um, there's not going to be nothing here for them except some oak trees in a parking lot. That, that's just not safe. And lastly, <laughs> Thursday, May 5th at 7 a.m., 7 a.m. on a Thursday morning. Come join us in a community-wide day of prayer. You've got time to come here at 7. Pray for a minute because we're going to give you a breakfast taco and some coffee for your breakfast. You can just eat that on the way to work. So join us there. Let me close in prayer. Father God, thank you for this morning. Holy Spirit, thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for giving us that one little thing that we can work on. Father God, we want to give you glory. We want your kingdom to be magnified and glorified by what you can do through us. So thank you that you give us that little thing to work on. Give us the strength to step out in faith so that your grace can abound to us. And and everything is possible because of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. 